Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Chris Evans here with this week's installment of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. What a week it's been. Coming up, Extrictly Come Dancing champ Kevin Clifton knee slides into the studio to tell us about his return to the stage as Stacey Jacks in the Rock of Ages Tour. Double Olympic champion Alistair Brownlee has his raring to go for the upcoming Tokyo Olympic Games and dives into his new book, Relentless, Secrets of the Sporting Elite. And super science writer James Nestor walks us through his 10-year personal investigation of breathing by the paperback edition of his worldwide bestseller, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. All of and so much more to come. Here's Dapper Day. Who's first? He strictly deals in only the finest performances, and his new gig is no exception. He's back as Stacey Jacks for a UK tour of Rock of Ages later this year. So get your tickets now before he's Stacey Jacks it in again. It's the Lord of the Dance, the Prince of the Prance, the wonderful Kevin Clifton. All right, Kevin. <laughs> How you doing? I like the Prince of the Prance. So do I. <laughs> there was a much longer list, wasn't there, in the end? <laughs> How are you, Kevin? How are you doing? All right. Very, very well. Uh, Rock of Ages musical I haven't seen it we were going to go and then we couldn't go uh, rockofagesmusical.co.uk is where you need to go for tickets my goodness me what a tour this is this looks like a Rolling Stones tour yeah, isn't well, it with the music well yeah. no, no oh, the, in terms of all the dates the number doing. of venues yeah yeah it's a, it's a big tour um, I've, it's a tour that I've done before I, I did in, in 2019 um, and the, yeah when they asked me to return to it I, I, I couldn't wait really because I love it it's like a big party Rock of Ages so, so what happens? So imagine sort of all 80s um, rock music. I'm yes. talking like White Snake, Poison, Ario Speedwagon. You are joshing all, all, me. In a journey. You are yanking my chain. All of these Let's guys. Let's do the show right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like um, all of that music. Um, and there's a storyline around it where Drew and Sherry, the lead two characters, one wants to be a rock star, the other wants to be an actress. And um, they're working in this sort of rock and roll bar in LA that is under threat from, from going under. They're going to build flats over it. Right. So they want to try and save the bar uh-huh. by bringing back this massive band called Arsenal. And then the lead singer, yep. um, the, this massive rock star called go. Stacey Jacks. Here we go. Um, he is the uh, he, he's the sort of star of this band, Arsenal. Um, they invite <laughs> him back to come and uh, perform at the bar, but he just causes problems for everyone because he's um, a, a drunk, problematic <laughs> ego-led rock star but okay. that's me and he's very funny yes he's, he's very funny it's outrageous and you yeah. love you love the role yeah I love that because it's just so different to how everyone normally sees me perceives Pe- you yeah people see me in a sparkly shirt and a spray tan doing yeah. lots of shimmying this was the role you had to do wasn't it this is the antidote to the last few years not that the last few years have been terrible but mm. you just needed to counter, sort of counteract what had been going on yeah who, so who are you most like then who, who is Kevin Clifton most like Strictly Kev or Stacey Jacks Kev uh, uh, Come on now! <laughs> if I don't know the answer, probably Stacey Jacks. <laughs> Hopefully, and it, no, that's not true. I, I hope to be Stacey Jacks, 
but I'm, I'm nowhere near as rock and roll as I'd like to think I am. Well, I was on Strictly, I sort of was like, you yeah, know, no, but everyone needs to see me differently. I'm a rock star. I'm, I'm like <laughs> this. I'm not, I'm not just like that guy you see on TV. But now I get to play the role, I can just sort of breathe out and go, oh, I can actually just go home and do my cross-stitching. Kevin Clifton is in Rock of Ages. It's back, back, back. I'll tell you how to get tickets in a moment or two. Uh, they kick off again this massive nationwide tour in September. Yes, yeah. September the 9th is, is when we open. How does this pop up? This song. Um, so it's two characters who uh, I sort of don't want to rule, ruin the surprise, but it's two characters who are, who are running the bar um, and they're in a bit of a sticky moment about what might happen to the sticky bar. Sticky moment behind the bar. You don't want a sticky moment behind the bar. <laughs> do you? There's a lot of them in Rock of Ages. Yeah. Um, some bars are so sticky that I've encountered you wipe your feet on the way out, Vassos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been to the darts at Lakeside? Uh, have it's all you? Very sticky. Funny you never mention it. <laughs> Blimey! Oh, let's get away from those darts. Okay, so you play Stacey Jacks. Yes. Okay. Now you have. You said you have four or five numbers. Does it change every night? Are you not sure? What, no, it's, what? It's, 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 it's the same show every night. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I know, but I said how many songs did you sing? Yeah. You said oh four or five. I'm trying to think. You've, yeah. you've done it like a thousand times. Yeah, I know. Is it four? Or is it five? I, it's five. Okay, I think. Okay, which is the showstopper? Well, the big moment for me, for my character of Stacey Jacks, yeah. is, is sort of when he first appears in Act One at the bar and he sings Bon Jovi's Dead or Alive. Wow, what a laugh. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a big sing. All right, well, we, we've got it next. We'd like you to sing along live to it on radio. <laughs> Are you big I'm enough? I'm not warmed up. Are you big Brrr. enough? Brrr. <laughs> what is all that about? That's vocal exercises yeah. pre-show exercises yeah. sort of warming up your voice and doing it in a way that's not going to immediately wreck yeah. all the muscles because you can't stretch a cold muscle mm. it's as simple as that mm -mm. all right so when you're on strictly um you you this side of you was bursting to get out yeah are you exactly where you a want to be b wanted to be now yeah that's it for me this was one of the this was the main reason that i left Strictly Come Dancing and I love Strictly you know I had an amazing seven years on the show but I, my main reason I said I wanted to go and do more theatre yeah. um, something that I was doing before Strictly and musical theatre is a big passion of mine I, you know I wanted to do more acting and singing as, as well as dancing and, and now it's it's all happening. Yeah, and, you, you know, some people want to take the edge off. You wanted to put the edge back on uh, to the extent mm. that you were so much chomping at the bit. The rock and roll um, sort of theatrical uh, yearning in you uh, wasn't being attended to. So in, a, in many ways, you started to live it out anyhow, didn't you? And by the way, we've all been there. Yeah. Um, and so you got a bit too rock and roll for your own good. Do you yes. think that was all part of the fact that you're a bit frustrated? I think it might have been. Yeah. There, Un there's, unfold there's... your arms. Don't <laughs> worry. I'm not going any deeper. <laughs> there's, uh, there's uh, yeah, I guess um, parts of me that weren't being expressed, I guess. <laughs> I know I got all nervous then. And I was like, what are we saying? Um, but yeah, um, I, I suppose parts of my life did get a, a a bit it's too expression, rock isn't and it? roll. Yeah, it's it's not being free to to express yourself. You know? Yeah, and you know uh, my my um, second eldest son Eli, he he is not um, he has he has not been blessed with traditional academic uh, skills and abilities, but he has lots of other things going on. Mm. We were sending him to school every day to something he just couldn't do. We mm. were sending him to 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 go and speak Chinese, you know, right. uh, down the local playground. Well, Dad, I can't speak Chinese, but mm. he can do all these different other things. Do you feel much better now? Do you feel lighter as a person? Yes. 
100, 100%. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So let's talk about the journey for, away from Strictly, out of Strictly. So the mm. first gig you got was? Well, it was meant to be Strictly Ballroom, the musical, right. um, which was meant to open in September 20. Then it got moved to September 21. Now it's been moved to September 22. Right. Which um, I think is quite fortuitous because that would have been a fantastic transition because mm. it's rock and roll ballroom. Mm. But that's been taken away from you. So you had to go extreme. You had yes. to go far left, which I like. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, I'm playing um, Stacey Jackson, Rock of Ages, which yeah. is as far away from sort of Kevin that you, you'd see on Strictly Come Dancing as is possible. Um, before that, I'm in rehearsals at the moment for Singing in the Rain. Wow. Which is, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest musicals in, in history. I'm playing Cosmo Brown in the... Is that Don- Fred Astaire's part? Um, so, so it was Gene Kelly was the main Sorry, guy. Gene in, Kelly, in right, um, yeah. So that's, he's um, being played by Adam Cooper, who's uh-huh. just one of the best dancers in the world. And I'm playing Cosmo Brown, the Donald O'Connor role. That make him laugh, make him laugh, that one. Make him um, laugh, uh, yeah. make him laugh. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you've warmed your voice up. Yeah, well. um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's... <laughs> sort of Strictly Ballroom being moved has, has created space for that. It's just mm. great. What you, what you achieve on stage in Singing in the Rain uh, and as Basement Jacks in Rock of Ages and in Strictly uh, Ballroom, you know, what, you have, will have, what you'll achieve there, what audiences will see, won't be the resultant of your rehearsals over the weeks. It will be part of that, but it'll be the last 30-odd years of you doing mm. what you do. When did you, start, when did you start dancing? When did you start performing? How old were you? I mean, four years old. Right, but, uh, so, yeah. so it's all that, isn't it? Yeah. But if you can... You know, garner all that experience, have the passion in the first place. You know, very fortunately, find something that you love, which mm. makes time time not even exist, let alone fly by. Mm. Uh, and then you can start cashing in, but not really from a you know a monetary point of view, but from an experiential point of view, mm. and passing on all that joy. Best yeah. best job in the world. Yeah, because I was on a path as well where I was everything was about dancing, and it was I'm, I'm dancing in this show, dancing in that show, and then the natural progression is to become dance teacher and a choreographer, and I was starting to accept a few of those jobs because that's that's the path you're supposed to do yep. as a dancer. But I wasn't enjoying those jobs, and and I wasn't getting anything out of it, and it was a real realization of no, I, I have to go after the performing yeah. stuff that I want to do. Yeah, otherwise scene, it eats you, eat you, um, eat you up from the inside out. Yeah, and it's like, it's, it's an easy path in terms of getting jobs yeah. where, where I was, yeah. but I've got, to, I've got to go after the harder path where I might not straight away get the job, but that's the thing I know that I want to do. Well, I've known you for a long time now and I'm very uh, glad to know you and I've never seen you happier, ever. Oh. <laughs> Which is so cool, isn't it? Yeah, I feel very happy. I feel very well, happy so at the moment. You, so you should, and I hope it continues and gets, I hope you get happier. I hope you get, <laughs> you're so happy you burst when I'm on stage <laughs> and people write about it forever. You'll no longer exist, but what a way to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. What a good day to talk about pressure on elite sports people. His new book, Relentless Secrets of the Sporting Elite, is out now. And here to tell us all about it is a man who can write as well as he can swim, ride and run. It's the nicest triathlete you're ever likely to meet, Alistair Brownlee. Morning, Al. Morning. How are you doing? Very well. Um, how was last night for you before we move on to what you do for a living? Oh, it was stressful, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was so great to be at the start. I was kind of in a in a local pub, and um, the atmosphere was brilliant for that first ten or fifteen minutes, and then it just gradually got more and more stressful. Yeah, did you stay till the end? Right to the end, yeah. Blimey! Yeah. All right, so late night. What time do you get to sleep? 
Uh, about midnight, yeah, I think. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, I, w- I went to bed sort of um, straight away after uh, we um, became runners-up. Let's not say lost. After we after we achieved <laughs> the runners-up official Euro twenty twenty runners-up status, um, but and I I sort of did get to sleep pretty quickly. But but I was I was I knew I was asleep, but I was still thinking about the football. It was bizarre. I wasn't awake, but I was still aware that I was uh, thinking about the football. Right, Alistair, you are not in Tokyo. You are nowhere near Tokyo. Um, first of all, do you want to speak to that a little bit and tell us how it feels? Yeah, well, I was hoping to go to the Olympics for the fourth time um, and I always knew it was um, a bit of a risk being a, a bit older and uh, a bit injury prone and uh, I had a, uh, I was trying to qualify basically early this year. Anyway, ended up getting a really bad injury, um, not qualifying for Tokyo and having an operation on my ankle to sort it out uh, about a week ago now, uh, a month ago. So I've been recovering from that and I... Um, hope to uh, to to be racing again soon, but I'm only going to focus on the the long distance form of triathlon now. So Ironman and, and long distance racing, and, and not Olympic distance. But I am actually um, going to Tokyo to uh, to do some campaigning to uh, try and be voted onto the Olympic committee as a as a part of the athlete commission. So I get to go, get to um, yeah, hopefully watch some events and do a bit of work. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be interesting for you, isn't it? How, how do you feel about that? You, you are looking forward to it. I mean, how close can you get to the other athletes? For example, will you get to see Johnny or not? I'm um, not sure if I get to see Johnny because obviously the the um, all that normally absolutely you would in, in the Olympics, but with all the COVID restrictions and um, that's very very strict and <laughs> rightly so. Uh, and I think I think it's just brilliant. The Olympics are going ahead. I think any Olympics is better than no Olympics, and I think it's fantastic that it's. Um, happening but yeah will i be a good spectator or not i think uh, i'm not sure uh, i am um uh, yeah i think i feel like i've kind of moved on from my um short distance triathlon career and i am really looking forward to just standing on the side of the course and um spectating and watching the race uh i feel like uh you know i've had a, a good innings at uh, racing at the Olympic Games I'm very proud of going to three of them and um, yeah it'd be fantastic to watch this one um, so you have afforded Johnny some advice that maybe you've never shared with him before um, which might be the difference between um, gold silver the weight of gold um, the silver which seems to be the most unpopular medal because people in photographs um, of Olympic they've done studies on this and in photographs of the podiums the people that smile most are the people that won gold uh, and bronze but not silver do you get why that might be? Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it's a, probably a good job that the um, that the photos don't include the bloke that came fourth, stood next to the podium, because I think he might be smiling even less. But, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But silver literally is between rock and a hard place as far as uh, the podium is concerned. Right, this book, Relentless. I haven't read it. I'll be honest with you, John, uh, Alistair. I can't wait to read it. It sounds absolutely fascinating. Four years in the making. Um, just give us the, the sort of elevator pitch uh, on what it's about. Yeah, well, it was four years in the making. And um, it's really me talking to high-performing athletes and sports people across a, a range of sports from Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker player, to A.P. McCoy, jump jockey, to Ian Botham, cricket legend, to uh, Paula Ratcliffe and Chris Freem, you know, endurance athletes that I guess are a bit closer to what I do. Um, and it was fascinating. They were all kind of informal conversations about uh, what makes them tick, how they motivate themselves, how they get um, performances out of themselves time and time again over, over long periods of time. And um, I found that the process of interviewing 
well, firstly, quite hard. I've got a newfound respect for people who, who are professional interviewers. Um, but, you know, fascinating talk to, talking to them and, and then um, really enjoyed trying to sit down and, um, yeah, kind of crystallise those thoughts and, and put them in the form of a book. What, do you, what are Johnny's chances, realistically, in the next couple of weeks? I think uh, Johnny's got a really good chance. Um, I think he's in a great position. He's in, in really good shape. I think the best shape he's been since the last Olympics, certainly. Um, I think it's different for him. He's, he's not going in um, as a favourite like he has done for the last two Olympics um, or, or as a real key favourite, at least. Um, and the, this race is wide open. It's, the men's triathlon race is more open than any triathlon with in the Olympics have seen for a long time so um, I think that I think they're all in his favour and um, he's in great shape I think he can just go and enjoy it and see how it turns out and you seem to be at peace with your situation yeah I, I definitely feel I, I am you know I, I kind of always say that the 14 year old me didn't even think uh, I'd go to one Olympics never mind three of them uh, and win twice so I'm, I'm yeah I'm really proud of the uh, career I had at Olympic distance triathlon and at the same time, you know, it, it would have been amazing to um, to be able to go to a fourth Olympics. But I did always know I was um, it was going to be a push with, with injuries and, and and trying to basically run fast. That's what the injury risk is. Um, and yeah, with the kind of last three or four months getting injured and trying to manage that injury and still train to the best of my ability to try and race and get there. That was really stressful. So um, when I was kind of glad that was over. Well, Johnny, you are going to four Olympics. Uh, well, I guess I'm technically going. You are going. Yeah, you not, 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 <laughs> no, no, but you're still going. Are you going to your yeah, fourth Olympics? Well, listen, have a great one. Thanks for the book. I haven't read it, but I'm going to read it. And um, really great to talk to you, Alistair. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, Relentless is out now. Why wouldn't you want to read this book? Can't wait to get it. Can you, Vass? Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I've dipped in. Have it's you? really, I've started. And I'm not, it's not, I'm not going to skim it. I'm going to enjoy every word. Good. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Reading anything written by our next guest is as easy as breathing, especially his latest effort. The Sunday Times best-selling Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, is out now in paperback. So all hail the king of the inhale and exhale. It's the brilliant James Nestor. Live from San Francisco. Good morning, James. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks so much for staying up until 1.35 a.m. on the west coast of America to talk to us. Of course. I didn't exactly stay up, just a heads up. I just woke up. <laughs> how, how is it doing an interview having just woken up? It's great. I'm half what, you know, halfway in a dream state, halfway here, and uh, we'll see what I come up with here. All right. Because you are one of the go-to breath guys in the world, you will, of course, have a breathing technique to wake you up. Have you applied one? Have you deployed one this morning? You'll never guess what I was just doing a few minutes before this call Tell came me. in. So, yes... Uh, when you breathe more quickly, when you inhale more than you exhale, you stimulate the body. That's stimulating the sympathetic nervous system. So this amps you up, gets your heart rate up, it gets your blood pressure up, it gets you ready to go. And so I did a few rounds of that breath work. 
Okay, and it does work. I mean, you know, it's for free, which is why, again, I know millions of people have now bought and read James's book across the world. It's out in paperback. I encourage you to buy this as your beach read um, this year. The Sunday Times bestseller, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. We've talked to James loads about this book, but it's for free. It's our fuel. Oxygen is our fuel. It's what runs our engine, and it's free, and we can get it into our lungs, into our system more efficiently and more effectively if we do some things rather than others. And a quick rule of thumb is one that we're alluding to here. The, the more you breathe in, the, the more energy you have because you increase your heart rate. The longer you expire, so if you change that round, the more relaxed you'll get. Both very useful in different situations, James. That's right. You know, we get more energy from our breath than we do from food or drink. And so how we take that breath in, how we exhale it, determines so much of our health, our energy levels, and so much more. So I mostly concentrate on exhaling longer than inhaling because I don't want to be jacked up. I don't want my heart rate up. I don't want my blood pressure up. I want to be in balance. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about that. Give us, give us just loads of super hacks and let's drive people to your book. Well, there's so many different breathing techniques, but they're all variations on the same thing. When you start exhaling more than you're inhaling. So right now, I know it's morning over there, but you can try to inhale to a count of four, hold for seven and exhale for eight. That's inhale for four, hold seven and exhale for eight. And you're going to notice something happening when you do this. Your heart rate's going to go down. You're going to feel mellower. You're going to feel more focused. So this isn't a placebo (laughs) effect. This is you harnessing your breath and using your breath to focus your body to calm down. If I breathe that way right now, I would fall right to sleep. So I'm not going to do it, but everyone out in the UK can do that and see what it does for you. All right. So after this interview, I presume you will want to go back to bed. So you'll be expiring for longer. So you might be doing a bit of that once we finish talking. That's exactly right. I might have a warm cup of herbal tea as well. We'll see what happens. Oh, my goodness me, you absolute devil. Uh, now, I know you're not a doctor, and I know often, you know, you, you quite correctly, uh, you say, look, I, I'm not a scientist. I wrote the book, but I wrote the book by talking to lots of clever people. But you have de facto become, in a way, the breath guy. How does it feel? How comfortably does that sit with you? And how far are you um, likely to take it going forward? Well, it doesn't sit very comfortable with me because I am a journalist. So my job is to go out and talk to the most interesting breathers, to talk to people who have studied this for decades and decades and just to collect those stories. So I just try to refer people to the science. Uh, Don't believe me, right? I'm just a filter for this stuff. But when you start collecting the science and talking to enough of these people, the same story comes out over and over. And that's what I found in this book. So, James, why is it that we've fallen out of love with what comes to us most naturally? Or why why is it that the correct way to breathe has fallen out of favour? Is it some kind of master plan by people who can charge for things for certain patents to stop us breathing that way? Is it something that's been done... um, uh, on on purpose that's something we've been hoodwinked by or is it part of our evolution that we're going away from what we need to do more not less i think that humans love things that are overly complicated and difficult uh look what's happened to our diet eating shouldn't be this complicated now you have to take 12 different supplements and follow a, a very specific dietary plan in order to be healthy that's crazy 
But nature is actually very simple yet subtle. And breathing is such a simple, free thing that few of us think it can really have a transformative effect until you look at the science, until you look at the measurements, and until you look at the hundreds of thousands of people who have adopted healthy breathing habits and massively transformed their health. I've talked to so many of them, and all of this is very real. Right, finally, a bit of fun. Left nostril versus right nostril. Who's going to win? Well, uh, nobody should win. Uh, They should be balanced and used equally, and our bodies do this automatically. We have these tissues in our nasal passages that will clog up or open to allow air in through the left or right. The right nostril is associated with heating the body up, stimulating it, and the left is associated with calming the body down. So you can use that hack anytime, anywhere, and you can feel the results for yourself. So if you're tense going into a meeting today and you just put one finger over the right nostril and breathe how many times through the left nostril to calm down? I would do a couple of cycles. Everyone's different, right? So some people may only need about three or four inhales to feel that change. Other people may need more. So the great thing about this is it's easy. You can do it while watching TV, before dinner, in your car, and you can really see how it works for you and then utilize that going forward. So remember, left is lower. So left is lower and right is, is height, if you like. That's how we can remember that. But don't hold both nostrils at the same time. Well, you could do that uh, if you really want to, but, but not recommended. But that's, <laughs> that's right. Le- left is like the brake pedal. The right nostril is like a gas pedal. You can think of it that way. Right. James, you're awesome. Um, I love you like a brother. Uh, Please stay in touch. And thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Breath, the new science of a lost star out now in paperback, my friends. We've been banging on this book for a year and still some people who listen to the show haven't read it. I don't get that. I don't get it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, we've heard from three delightful guests already, but there's still plenty to come. Renowned writer Joe Cohane talks about the sociologists, psychologists, philosophers, political scientists and more involved in his new book, The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World and the inspiring superwomen behind the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert and Dr. Catherine Green reveal the inside story of their genius creation in their brand new book, Vaxxers. So let's get right back to it, Dapper Dave. Who's next? In the words of Bob Hoskins, it's good to talk, especially as it turns out to strangers. His debut book, The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World, is out today. And here to give us exactly the opposite advice we got from our parents is journalist and author Joe Cohane. Hello, Joe. 
Hi, Chris. How are we doing? I'm very well, Joe. Welcome to the show. The Power of Strangers, a whole book on The Power of Strangers. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, great intro and great book. Uh, first of all, let's talk about uh, the most recent salient pushback to do with strangers. Uh, one of my favourite quotes in your book, Joe, is um, to do with the sheriff of Harris County in Georgia, an affluent area, who installed the sign in 2018 reading, Welcome to Harris County, Georgia. Our citizens have concealed weapons. If you kill someone, we might kill you back. We have one jail and 356 cemeteries. Enjoy your day. <laughs> so that's what we're up against when it comes to strangers um, at one extreme um, end of the scale. Uh, tell us about the benefits of meeting strangers. Yeah, so while I was doing this book, <clears throat> I spoke to a lot of psychologists and sociologists and, and just social scientists in general about what happens when we talk to strangers. Because, um, you know, as you alluded, we were taught to be very wary of strangers growing up. But it turns out that increasingly over the last 15 years, there's been a raft of research that shows that when we do talk to strangers, um, people report feeling happier. They report feeling more connected. All right. Well, uh, this is something you do for a living anyway, or you've done for a living because you're a journalist. And um, uh, but you have you have have put the experimentation out there in the real world. I wanted to like rebuild myself as a social animal. I felt that I had kind of dropped off a little bit and I wanted to start from very simple techniques to much more complicated techniques and get better and better and better at initiating and like having satisfying interactions with people I don't know. I'm unlike you, you know, I was watching my son play cricket on Monday at a village green that I'd never been to before. Guy walks past and he's, I, I presume he's watching his son as well playing the opposing team. And I just, you know, and there's a language, isn't there? I just turned to him and I said, uh, "This is this is some some village, isn't it?" And off we started. So there are ways in, aren't there? If you get used to it, you know, we tend to be kind of wary of strangers unless we're both standing in the same physical space watching the same game, and then they're not really strangers. Like it doesn't take that much for us to be, become comfortable to have these interactions. So super tips. Give us some super hacks today. You know, one really great tip that I got from a woman in London named Georgie Nightingale was when we interact with someone in like a service sort of environment, right? If it's a, a waiter or a barista at your coffee shop, we tend to fall back on these, what, what they call scripts. And a script is when someone says, how you doing? And you say, I'm doing fine. How are you? And they say, I'm doing fine. And that's the interaction, yeah. right? Um, a trick that Georgie had was to be specific. So when someone says, how you doing? Answer honestly, answer specifically. One genius thing that she did was she gives a numerical answer. So when someone says, how you doing today? She says, I'd say I'm about a seven out of 10. And then she'd say, how are you doing today? And, you know, this is like the magic of human communication. People tend to follow each other's lead. And so the person will see that she's being playful. She's doing something different here. So they'll say, well, I, you know, I'm probably probably an eight. I'm saying I'm an eight, I'm an eight out of 10. And then she'll say, well, what will it take you to get to a 10? And then you can start having an interaction like that. It's just a very quick way to get past what is kind of yeah. like a rote robotic uh, interaction. By the way, all the titles of the chapters of your book are questions in waiting. They're brilliant. Um, chapter 10, The God of Strangers. Tell us about The God of Strangers. I went through all of the old religious books for Islam, for Judaism, for Christian Christianity, and just tried to figure out what the position on strangers were. Um, and it turns out that a lot of the holy books um, have like really strong warnings against harming strangers. Um, and sometimes gods will pretend to be strangers in order to make sure that people aren't mistreating them. Like Zeus would pretend to be a stranger. And if he caught someone mistreating them, mistreating him, he would turn them into birds. But it just tells you how important strangers are to the rise of civilization over the years. And isn't it funny? Because, you know, now the tubes are getting busy again and the public transport's getting busy again. They're still deathly quiet, even though they may be packed. Yet people are interacting um, 
virtually on social media with people they will never meet and don't even qualify as strangers because they're more removed than strangers, but in a way that's safer than talking, in their mind, safer than talking to the person next to them who, who, who's sharing their commute. Yeah, there's definitely strong social norms against talking to strangers on subways. But interestingly, there is also like a, a great deal of research now on what happens when people do try to talk to people on the tube. And this has actually been done on the tube in London, too. Um, overwhelmingly, people have a positive experience when they just randomly chat up a stranger on the subway. This has been done in the US. It's been done in the UK. It tends to work well. People are much more receptive than they than, than participants think they're going to be. And the conversations go well and the commute is pleasant. Um, it tends to work pretty well, even though like we regard the prospect of talking to someone cold in the subway with like complete horror. It's just something that's <laughs> not done, right? That's why it's so quiet on these trains. Yeah. But it turns out that it's actually pretty easy and it's actually really enjoyable when you do it, when you make the effort. Whereas on social media, you know, the, the problem with a lot of those interactions is that they're one dimensional. Um, they're what people call lo-fi interactions. You don't see the whole person. You don't see their face. You don't hear their voice. So it's much harder to get a sense of like the humanity behind the individual that you're talking to. Got it. Um, Joe, if you could put one thing on a billboard to promote um, interaction with strangers, what would you put on that billboard? It's a great question. Um, it is easier than you think. That's the thing. Everybody's, <laughs> everyone's so anxious about it, yeah. um, but everyone who does it with a little bit of practice finds that it, it's really beneficial. It feels good. It makes your life better, and it's easier than you think. Well, it's a lovely book. Um, well done, uh, because you really have taken a long time to get a proper book out of this, The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World by Joe Kehane, or Cohane, sorry, Joe. And thanks for staying up to talk to us live from New York. Superb. The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World by Joe Kehane. Hang out now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. If it wasn't for the genius of our next guest, lockdown may very well have become normal. The new book, Vaxxers, is out now, so if you, like so many others, have a fascination with vaccination, please prepare for your first dose of Dr. Catherine Green. <laughs> Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Nice to speak to you. Nice to speak to you. What a joy. What an honour. What an absolute pleasure. What a book. What a story. Um, and the anecdote with which you open the book, you go camping in August 2020, you queue up for a pizza. What happens next, Doctor? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the lady in front of me in the pizza queue, who was a super nice lady with a very cute dog, um, was just saying to, happened to be a friend of mine, um, how she was unsure about the vaccine. She was concerned that she didn't know what was in it and perhaps was concerned that it was made by them, some large global pharma company who can't be trusted, perhaps. And I'd already been in conversation with some people about whether we would ever write a, a story of the vaccine development over 2020. And I think that was the final push for me to realise that perhaps we do need to tell this story. And that's kind of where it all started. Yeah, and um, little did she know who she was standing next to, the, the poor woman. Mm -hmm. But thanks to her, as I say, you've written this book. You know, that, yeah. that, was, the, that was the sort of straw that broke the camel's back. And thank, thank heaven you have written the book. It's an amazing tale, anyhow. The way you write it, the way you dovetail chapters between yourself and Sarah is, is, is so harmonious and so perfect and makes it so much more easy for us to sort of take on board the funny side of it, the frustrating side of it, uh, the, the, the flipping genius side of it, of course, as well. Um, you talk about August 2020. Uh, a lot of us managed to get a week or two away there. We actually went to Venice because we're allowed to. Um, yeah. Uh, in between lockdown 2.0 and then the third, much more severe lockdown, which sort of uh, took us all by surprise. 
perhaps not you so much, but the rest of us. So we were eight months into the story when you went camping for your warm wine and your cold pizza with this lady <laughs> in the queue. Um, eight months into the story of the the virus, but also eight mon- months into the story of your vaccine, because upon hearing about um, the vaccine on New Year's Day, um, in between that and you creating a vaccine, the vaccine that we now know as the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine was just 26 days. How come you could do, do it so quickly this time around when in the past it's taken years, may- centuries and sometimes an infinite amount of time because certain research was due to certain, uh, with regards to certain viruses is still ongoing. Well, that's right. So, I mean, it's a very different time that we're living in now in 2020 than we were living in when the record previously for developing a vaccine, which was the mumps vaccine in the 1960s. So science has come on a long way since the 1960s. And we have a lot of tools and methods and engineering strategies available to us that we didn't have in the 1960s. So that's one thing. Modern science is better. We know more. We have better strategies. Sarah has been working on developing this platform technology for making vaccines against a whole variety of viruses. And we've used that in Oxford to make vaccines against influenza, tuberculosis, malaria, rabies, plague, and these outbreak pathogens. So pathogens which come out um, and and infect small numbers of people in localised geographical areas like Lassa virus or Nipah. Um, And so we've been trying to make vaccines against those diseases, which are really serious diseases, but don't spread currently. They're generally contained in outbreaks. So the technology that we're using for the vaccine, we knew what to do. Sarah's team already knew how to design vaccines. And she'd already done a vaccine against a different coronavirus, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome virus, that she'd put through clinical trials and we knew that that was safe in in human populations and was was giving good immune responses. So we had a lot of background to go on. We also knew how to manufacture it and that's important. So that's what my team do. We make the vaccine, really high quality material to go into the clinical trials and we knew how to do that already. So in the early stages of 2020, when Sarah started to realise we might need to make a vaccine against this new coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, everything was in place for us to just get going. As we say in the book, what we needed was funding more than anything. And Sarah spent a lot of time in just um, February, March, even through to April, trying to get the money for us to be able to go as quickly as we wanted to and to get the trial set up. But what we were going to do was never in question because of the, the history that we have. Oh, my goodness. Sarah's on the line now. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Chapter 2, Disease X, the 1st of the 10th of January, 2020. Uh, one of Sarah's chapters on New Year's Day 2020. I was sitting at my desk at home, going through my work emails and browsing a few news websites. Confirmed cases, 4 to 59. This is in the world. Confirmed deaths still at zero. I checked in with ProMed Mail, a site that reports on disease outbreaks around the world, and something caught my attention. There were reports of pneumonia of unknown cause in Wuhan, China. Four cases with high fever and pneumonia not responding to antibiotics. First patient worked at a seafood market. Interesting, you say. And some. What happened next? Well, what happened next was um, I started following the updates on that website over the coming days as more information was known about this, what was originally a very small outbreak of something that I did think looked interesting because um, it was pneumonia, um, unknown origin, and gradually the story began to unfold that it was viral and it wasn't one of the viruses that we already know about, like influenza. Uh, And sometimes in China, there've been outbreaks of avian influenza. So the flu that that, uh, birds get, particularly chickens, uh, and then that can infect people as well. That's happened quite a number of times, but it wasn't avian influenza or any other kind of influenza, and it wasn't an adenovirus, and then we got the news it was a coronavirus. 
And that was even more interesting to me because, as Kath was saying, I'd worked on making a vaccine against a different coronavirus. And so if this new virus that we needed to make a vaccine for was also a coronavirus, we knew how we were going to approach it because we'd already made a vaccine previously. We need the gene, the sequence that codes for the spike protein, the protein that's found on the surface of the virus. We put that into our vaccine technology and we're ready to go. All right, from the book, Getting Yourself Vaccinated Will Protect You and Those Around You From Falling ill with COVID-19 for anyone still thinking about it and is the best means we have to bring an end to lurching from lockdown to economic failure via overwhelmed health services. My advice, our advice would be to accept a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as you were offered one. That's what we did. Thanks so much for talking to us. You're both amazing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank uh, you. Thanks for fitting us in in between. Guess what they're doing? They're in the labs. They're working on the vaccine. That's what they're doing. The inside story of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. What a book. Vaxxers, Professor Sarah Gilbert and Dr Catherine Green. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Formula One's been warming up quite nicely this season and thankfully they've brought their heat with them. The British Grand Prix at Silverstone is live and exclusive on Sky Sports F1 this Sunday. And here to tell us more is the warm weather front of commentary himself. It's time to heat wave at Crofty. All right, Crofty. Morning, Chrissy. How are you? I'm very well. But you're on the show almost more than me now. Um, It's getting a little bit uncomfortable comfortable how is it your end uh, well, do, do you know what? I'm, I'm happy to share my show with you if that's the way you <laughs> want to do it I don't mind at all <laughs> how good was the festival of speed how long did you hang around there for what else did you find uh, out who else did you meet I hung around for a little while uh, to be honest but I had to leave and go and get a covid test um, but I met a few fans and said hello to a few people and posed for a few photos socially distanced of course um, and just I kind of I had a look at the hypercar uh, stuff uh, down by the start line of the, uh, of the hill climb because I just, I fancied, I had a need for speed and, and I fancied going and seeing some very fast cars and there were some beautiful cars down yeah. there. I come away feeling very jealous, but I, I, I haven't got one, to be honest. I need to work harder. You couldn't work any harder. It's impossible. You could give it a go, <laughs> but there'd be nothing of you left. So 45,000 people every day last weekend mm-hmm. at the Festival of Speed, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and 140,000 due at Silverstone. How many do you think are already there? I would say probably most of them. Uh, yeah, I would, say, I would say there are a lot of people because we've been waiting for a couple of years for this one. Um, I saw some pictures of the campsites last night. Gorgeous sunset over Woodlands campsite last night. Um, there are tens of thousands of people there already. Um, I'm on my way in about 10 minutes' time uh, to Silverstone. I, um, I can't wait for this, Chris. This has been... And it's not just we're going back to the home of the Formula One World Championship. We're not just going back to the British Grand Prix. We're going back to a British Grand Prix that is absolutely chocker. It is sold out. You cannot buy a ticket for love and money to the British Grand Prix this year. And that's what we want. We want to get back to normal, as safe as we possibly can. Everyone who's there has been double-jabbed or has returned a negative uh, COVID test um, so we can actually enjoy motorsport safely and have some fun as well. Can't wait to see as many people as possible over the next three days. All right, and the bonus big bow on the gift box is some meaty, proper meaty Sky Sports Sky F1 viewing tomorrow tea time. Yeah, we'll be live on the grid um, with our usual uh, tonight and then tomorrow qualifying on a Friday evening. The normal qualifying, the three-part qualifying uh, where five get eliminated and another five get eliminated. But the winner of qualifying will not be the person starting on pole 
for the British Grand Prix because for the first time ever, we have sprint qualifying, a race on Saturday afternoon. We used to race at Silverstone uh, up until about 1983 on a Saturday afternoon because they didn't want the noise to disturb the church services uh, nearby uh, on a Sunday, uh, Sunday morning and afternoon. But we're going back to Saturday racing, uh, 17 laps, 100 kilometres to decide the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. I don't know how it's going to work. Never been tried before. Um, you've got to try something once to see if it works or not. And if it does, you'll see more and more of it in the future of Formula One. But I, I like the idea of the best drivers in the world going for it, hammer and tongues, right from lights out, no pit stops, no strategy. Just put your foot to the floor and race. I think it's brilliant. How different will they? Se- or how differently will they set up the cars for the sprint qualifying? Well, so here's the thing. They... In an ideal world, they'd love to set it up for a sprint qualifying and then change it as much as possible for the race, but they can't do that. Uh, We have a thing called Park Fermi in Formula One, whereby the cars cannot be changed other than just a front wing flap adjustment or a little um, pressure change in the tyres from the start of Park Fermi to the start of the Grand Prix. And Park Fermi starts just before qualifying on the Friday. So everything's a compromise. So you've got to set it up for speed, but also not to degrade the tyres uh, too much during the course of a long Grand Prix on the Sunday. So it's fascinating. And the teams only get one hour to practice before they go into Park Fermi. So th- there's lots of um, ifs, buts and, and maybes and shoulda, woulda, coulda going to come out uh, this weekend. The teams have not got enough time to do what they want. And we like that. It's so exciting. So proper viewing tomorrow. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, you know, uh, free practice one, two and three. It's it's all right if you've got time for it. But proper qualifying tomorrow, Friday night tea time, 5.25. And then this sprint, mm. sprint qualifying Saturday afternoon. And then the Grand Prix itself comes Sunday. I mean, that is, whether it works or not, I don't see how it can't work from a viewing point of view. You know, we don't have to put well, the cars together. We don't have to race them around the track. <laughs> Crofty, it's going to work for us. In fact, let me tell you, it already has. Excellent. Uh, for once, the marketeers win over the engineers. Yeah. And I think that's not a bad thing. Um, I think it's we a need a balance. Thing. I think it's a great, yeah. great thing. Yeah. What time are you on the air tomorrow? What time do you start? What ti- right, OK, so we're on air tonight, 6.30 to uh, 7.30, because we have the F1 show of this evening. But F1, uh, Formula One practice one tomorrow is at 1.30. So we're on air from 1 o'clock, qualifying from 5 o'clock. All right, pal. Uh, as far as I can tell, right. we're on air. Do us a favour, will you now? What's that? Get off my show! <laughs> <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's blown our minds and stolen our hearts with his cover of the Bee Gees Staying Alive, and his brand new single, Saved, is out today. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can tell by the way he uses his walk, he's a woman's man. And thankfully, he does have time to talk. Well, it's man- Isaac Stewart! Oh, well, is he a woman's man? I'm not quite sure. Is he an everyman? I've no idea. Uh, Isaac, hello, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, well done on everything. You're a genius. You continue to be a musical genius and you continue to have a proper day job I do I was supposed to be working today luckily <laughs> my boss who's very kind David thank you uh, he said I could have the day off <laughs> so you work in a piano shop I do part time yes right. what yeah. do you do in the piano shop I, so I work from home but I sell Yamaha digital pianos and keyboards alright what's a, what's a good buy at the moment in the keyboard world oh it's got to be a clavinova that's what I'd say clavinova. go to epianos.co.uk ok tell us about the virtues of a clavinova over <laughs> others Feels like a real piano. Feels like a piano. Sounds like a real yeah. piano. But it doesn't cost the amount that a real piano would. And do you have to retune electric pianos like you retune normal pianos? No, pianos. no, plug them in, 
done. Off you go. Because yep. they have that weightiness to the keys. Is that what you're talking about? Depends how much you spend. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. All yeah. right. What piano do you have at home and where is it? Oh, I've got a Yamaha CP88 <laughs> keyboard. Right. <laughs> and if you could have any real piano in the world, because Elton John, who did this thing for us in a field a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, uh, Elton John played in an actual tent in a field. He's Elton John, but it was a field and it was in a tent. He has <laughs> several pianos. And he said to us, he said to us, which piano would you like me to bring? And he's named them all after his favourite singers. So he brought Aretha. If you could have any <laughs> piano in the world, which, which piano? I'd have a, probably a big white grand Steinway. And Steinway. I'd, I'd probably call it Bowie, maybe, it's if we're Stein- naming them. Yeah, what, uh, so the, the fat white duke. Yeah, yeah. You'd have that, wouldn't you? Exactly. Or the piano-shaped white exactly. duke. That's good. All right, so Saved is a brand new single. It's out it today. Is. Tell us about Saved, Isaac. It is about... It's about... They're all about love. They're all about being in love. Right. But it's about being... It's about young love and, um, and feeling like you're in a film. One of those classic coming-of-age 80s films, like The Breakfast Club, all that kind of thing. Is um, that why the video looks like it does? There will be a video for it. Have not I not yet. seen the video? Staying Alive's got a video. Have I not seen it? I thought I'd seen a video for Maybe Saved. Not. No, no, no. I, I've, se- I've seen the storyboard for the yes, video yes. Saved. Yes, yes. Oh, have you? Okay, cool. I have. Is it to do with the lady who saves dogs? Uh, there is there is something, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. Yeah. So, I, so I think I've seen it, there but I'm not, I've just seen something to do with it. You have seen something to do with it, yeah. All right, so Isaac, this is out today. What does it mean for you to have a new song out today? How, how What will happen as a result of this in your life? I mean... It's just amazing to hear, you know, have more people listening. Um, my first headline show, tickets have just come on sale Where's right this? Now. Where can we go and see you? So that's at the waiting room in um, Stoke Newington mm-hmm. um, in November. How we actually crazily... Oh, so just go on... Uh, if you go to my Instagram, or uh, which is Isaac Stewart, at Isaac Stewart, or go to the Live Nation website and type in my name, you'll see it. But we <laughs> sold out the, the pre-sale yesterday. Came, I can't believe it. We put the, the tickets on sale yesterday morning and the pre-sale sold out within a few hours. So the, but the general sale's out now. Right. It came out at eight. So if you Have you come. checked whether that sold out? I haven't yet. I bet no, it has. I haven't, I haven't, haven't How checked. many people can come and see you at this venue? Uh, it's a it's a it's a nice intimate venue. I think probably about a hundred and something hundred. Right, well, that's got to be a done deal. I mean, there's a hundred of us want to go for a start. <laughs> when is it again? Eleventh uh, of November. All right, pal. Well, listen, it's great to see you again. Thank you so um, much. For I know we me. haven't got much time for this chat, but I did want you to come in and just Thank be you. here. Yeah, yeah. It's Do you want to come watch Paul Weller in a bit? I would love it. <laughs> okay. Listen, you're amazing, pal. I think, you know, I think you're amazing. Thank you so you much. You are absolutely <clears throat> awesome. Um, how old are you again? 22. 22 years old. The world at his feet, or at least that should be the case, and hopefully <laughs> will be the case. No offence at all to the people he works with or his boss at the piano <laughs> shop, but they know that he's destined for not necessarily greater things, but bigger things. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.